0: This, this summer we've been going through some of the book of Psalms and we've been learning what it looks like to have our souls satisfied in God. And how, how do we do this? How do we grow nearer in our relationship with God? How do we encourage one another through these psalms? And those are the questions we've been asking and trying to answer together uh, this summer. And I, I wanna encourage you this morning to turn to Psalm 90. And even as we open this text today, we recognize and we open our hearts and minds to the fact that these are God's words to us today. Anything that I bring to the table is incomplete and insufficient, and it's God and his spirit that has to do the work today. Amen? Amen. And But today, uh, we are going to go after, uh, here in Psalm 90, the perspective that satisfies. Perspective matters. Perspective, the way you look at, the way you see something, the way you view something is, is important. It, it affects your decisions and, uh, uh, and, your, and it affects your end result. Um, I, I likened it a little bit to uh, like putting in golf. I, I'm a golfer, I, I enjoy golfing. I've been doing it since I was a really small kid and uh, uh, really enjoy it. But uh, you can ask my brother-in-law, the, the, the weakest part of my game is definitely putting. Okay, uh, but but putting the best putters in the world, like they're really good at reading putts. Okay, and they and they are uh, they are getting perspectives around uh, their putts as, as they go after them. They they get behind their ball and they they get down so that they can see the ground, they can see the terrain, they can see the undulations, and they can see how it's affecting that putt. And then they don't stop there; they go around to the other side of the putt and they look back the other way to see what. Uh, uh, what else they might have missed from that side, and then after they're done reading it from that side, they'll go off to the side. And by this time, you're tired of watching them read this putt on television. I know, but they're going off to the side and they're seeing whether or not this 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 putt is downhill or uphill or if it's flat. And then they stand over it and then they feel their feet and they're like, "Okay, am I reading this right?" And they get all of these perspectives that then inform their decision on how what line they're going to start the ball on and how this ball is going to traverse into the hole and they use all of those perspectives and they depend on those perspectives to inform their decision and there is nothing more satisfying to a golfer to have read that and to see that and for the ball to do exactly what you thought it was going to do and for it to fall right into that hole in our journey through life perspective matters as well and it's perspective matters so that we end up with a real soul satisfaction. In this life, we are all on a search for satisfaction. We are all longing for satisfaction. You, you feel that as you go through life, right? Like the messages and the perspectives that we are being uh, uh, bombarded with on a daily basis, day in and day out, is about being satisfied in something, And here are some perspectives that maybe you've seen the world say, Uh, to you thats that they'll satisfy. Satisfaction is found in things. The the best or the biggest house, or the richest or the tastiest food, the coolest cars or the freshest fashions. Satisfaction is found in freedom. It's found in financial freedom. The freedom to to be able to take vacations whenever you want. And the freedom from rules or systems or authorities. Maybe satisfaction is found in yourself. Uh, Taking care of yourself, or being true to yourself, or loving yourself more we see all of these things the world is trying to tell us that satisfy in our media in our social influencers in our advertising and it's everywhere we look and all of us have to admit that at some level we fall trap to all of these perspectives and and we try to get some level of satisfaction from them right and what do we find at the end of all these things Well, I think the great philosophers, the Rolling Stones said it best. I can't get no satisfaction. I can't get no satisfaction. Because I try, and I try, and I try, and I try, and I can't get no. I can't get no satisfaction. And so today, We wanna see the perspective that satisfies from the author of satisfaction himself. And so we're gonna read here in Psalm 90. It says under Psalm 90, a heading, a prayer of Moses, the man of God. And so I'm gonna stop right there. We need just a little bit of context around this passage before we get into it. Okay, it says here, a prayer of Moses, the, the man of God. We need a little bit of a, a history lesson uh, to, to give a little bit of richness to this psalm. And so this is a, this is a prayer, but it's not a personal prayer of Moses. It's, it's a corporate prayer. You can look throughout the psalm and you'll see that there are a plural possessive pronouns. And so this is a prayer that Moses is praying with the people of God, with the Israelites, okay? And uh, so I think we need just a little refresher on Moses and the Israelites. And so let's call this a Cliff Notes version, okay? So I'm gonna go really fast. I'm gonna use, um, I'm just gonna go really fast, okay? He was born a Hebrew, but then he was ended up raised by Pharaoh's daughter in Pharaoh's house. Then he grows up and he kills an Egyptian for beating a Hebrew and then he flees for his life out of Egypt and then lives in a place called Midian and marries there. Then God shows up in a burning bush and he calls him to go back to Egypt to confront Pharaoh and free his people. A bunch of plagues later, Pharaoh sends the Hebrews away. Then, then Pharaoh changes his mind and runs after them. And then God, through Moses, parts the Red Sea uh, so that the people can escape on dry land. And then once the people get across, all the water then ends up uh, uh, killing the Pharaoh and his army. And then the people of God are then on the other side of the Red Sea traveling without a home under the leadership of Moses. On their journey, they stop at a mountain called Mount Sinai, and Moses is the guy who goes up and meets with God on the mountain, and then God gives his people the terms of his covenant, and, uh, 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 the ten, and then the Ten Commandments, and then instructions for worship. Moses then comes down from the mountain, some bad stuff ensues, Then, but later... Moses then organizes the people and then sends them out, and God sends them out from Sinai into the wilderness towards the land of Canaan uh, that the Lord was promising as a home for his people, okay? And now this is where we really get context for our particular psalm. Uh, I'm gonna read here from Numbers 13. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel, He's giving this land to the people of Israel. Remember that. They get near Canaan, okay? The Israelites get near Canaan, then they they obey God and send out the spies and, and see what's going on in Canaan. Then after 40 days, those people come back from their spying and say, the land's great, it flows with milk and honey, but all our enemies are there and they're big, and we can't defeat them. So then the people complain faithlessly. They faithlessly moan about their circumstances. They try to overthrow Moses and say, let's go back to Egypt and be slaves. Then God's like, remember Cliff Notes version. You're kidding me, right? After all that I've done for you, all the power that I've displayed over the Egyptians, over the Red Sea, I've provided manna for you every morning in the desert. Then I tell you, here's Canaan, it's yours. And you balk at that? Seriously? So, because they didn't believe God and they faithlessly said, let's go into the land that they sinned against God, They send again, mind you. Just read Exodus and Numbers. It's, it's a tragedy of errors. God God made them wander in the desert till everybody from that faithless generation dies. And so now we go back to Psalm 90. And this prayer of Moses that seems to be it seems to be placed at the end of this wilderness journey after all of this faithless generation has already died. And so now that we've got that context, let's, let's start in on this corporate prayer of Moses. He, he starts here verses 1 through 11 with some prayers of perspective, prayers of perspective. So more specifically, we are going to see a contrasting perspective between God and mankind. Let's first start with Moses' perspective on God. Verse one, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Moses is like, okay, here we are, God, getting, getting ready to head into the land and inherit what you've given your people. Let's reflect a moment and let's zoom out on what you've done and who you've been. Lord, you have been our dwelling place, dwelling place, a home. What is a home? It's, it's your safe place, right? It's, it's where you go to rest and to sleep and to spend time with the ones you love. It's, it's where you have a roof over your head and it, and it keeps you dry and it protects you from the elements. And there are doors that protect you from, from predators. And if you've been to Walmart lately, there's food maybe there and there, it, and there's sustenance there. And it's, it's the place you are rejuvenated and restored. And Ma- Moses is praying here to God, you've been that for us. We've been a people without a home, yet you were home. You've protected us from Pharaoh. You've protected us from the elements. You've been that place for us, and we return to you right now. And we might be going to a place of physical home for us, but you will continue to be our dwelling place. What a different perspective they had in this moment than from the first time when they were getting ready to enter Canaan. Is this your perspective on God? Do you treat him as a dwelling place? A place to return to again and again day after day for rest, for restoration, for spiritual sustenance, for safety in the everyday course of life? Or is he just an emergency shelter for when a tornado is passing by and you cry out? God's design is to be your dwelling Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Let's look at verse two. We're gonna zoom out further. Before the mountains were brought forth, wherever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Moses is reminding himself and the people of the perspective that God is eternal. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. It's hard to wrap our minds around eternal, right? Right? Uh, and many times, because we can't wrap our minds around it, we just gloss over it. He always existed. He always will exist. And we need that perspective. You've probably heard the statement that, that the only constant in life is change. It sounds good. And while that sometimes feels like it's true, and sometimes it makes you feel better For a minute, when a massive change is hitting you like a ton of bricks, it's not actually true. The only constant for all of eternity is God. And you can bank on that and you can bank on him. And we need that perspective. And Moses and Israel was saying that perspective in this prayer. So he has always been there. He always will be. He's secure. He's a secure dwelling place from now until forever. But what else is verse two laying out for us before the mountains were brought forth and you had ever formed the earth and the world? He, he's creator, right? He formed it all. He made the earth, everything in it, from the majestic mountains to the minutia of the atoms. It's all his doing. We can't forget that. Moses and the Israelites, last time they were in this place, getting ready to enter the land, God had told them it was theirs, and they balked. They were scared. They saw the cities and the people and the giants of the land, and they thought they were all too much for God. But Moses is reminding himself and reminding the people that it's all God's to begin with. He created it. He can do with it whatever he chooses. And so choose to believe this God and move forward. Let's skip down to verse four. What else, what other perspective do we see? For a thousand years is in in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. For a thousand years in your sight. Think about a thousand years. Think about like a thousand AD to 2000 AD. I I went down that rabbit hole on the internet for like 20 minutes this week can we can we just agree that there's a lot that has happened in a thousand years from the middle ages through Y2K the advancements of civilizations and the rise and fall of kingdoms and rulers and ruling systems just the technological advances in the last a hundred years are mind-blowing enough and God's like yeah that was yesterday right I've got it all, like last night I had my hands on that, working that out. Are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. God is timeless, he's not bound by time. In fact, he created time and is not bound by that limitation at all. What a perspective he must have. He, he can zoom out and in on time and nothing is ever late or early or fast or slow. He sees it all at the same time. Let's keep going, jump down to verse eight. You have set our iniquities before you are secret sins in the light of your presence. So not only does he zoom out and see all of history at the same time, he can then zoom in and get down into the minutia and he sees you and me. He sees Moses and the Israelites and he, he sees all and he knows all, he's omniscient. Okay? That's what omniscient means. He sees all and he knows all. And, and Moses knew this intimately about God. Moses had personally been in the light of God's presence on Mount Sinai. And he knew firsthand what it was like. And he knew there were no secrets Uh, there was nowhere to hide and everything is always just laid out before him, our secret sins in the light of his presence. And so often we go through life like the 18 month old that's playing peekaboo with his parents. I can't see you, so you can't see me. And God's like, seriously? Like, I see all, I know all, I'm omniscient. That's not all. You have set our iniquities before you, verse eight, our secret sins in the light of your presence for all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. See, our God is righteous and holy and he has a response to our sins. It's justified wrath Why why is it justified wrath? This isn't the part of God that we really like to talk about at all. And, and, And we don't understand it because it makes us uncomfortable. And scripture tells us in 1 John 1, 5, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. He is perfectly righteous and holy. And so he can't have any of our sin in his presence. It must be punished for him to be the holy God set apart and unlike us. Again, remember the context here. Because Israel sinned against God and didn't trust him and obey him, this whole generation dies off. This, for all our days pass away under your wrath. That whole generation dies off before being able to enter the promised land. This prayer of perspective, they had personal experience attached to it. They had looked back and seen All of that faithless generation die. And this may seem a little harsh, but hang in there. God's wrath is justified, and we all deserve it. But hope is on the way. But we have to hang in there a little bit longer as we look at mankind. We now have a better and truer perspective on God from those verses, who he is and what he's about. All of, this is, all of this points to the fact that our God is transcendent. He's over all of it and he's above and beyond all of it, transcendent. But what about mankind? What, what about us? Uh, there's a big disparity here. And it's important that we have that perspective as well, a perspective on mankind. Let's look back at verse 3. It says, you return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. So what we saw about God in those other verses was in verse 2 is that he was the creator. And then this verse is, is emphasizing that we are the created. This, this reference should remind us of Genesis 2. Genesis 2, 7. Then, then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. We were formed out of dust. So we were created from dust, but here in Psalm 90, verse 3, it says, the creator God returns us to dust. You return man to dust. And what's that all about? Well, that should remind us of the other part of the creation account, the more sad part. Verse uh, Genesis three seventeen. and to Adam, he said, this is God speaking to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground And then cursed is his working of the ground. And then in verse 19, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust and to dust you shall return. Because of Adam and Eve's sin, every person eventually turns back to the dust that that we were created from. God is the creator and we are the created. And Moses here is building a case for the brevity of life. We are being led to understand who God is versus who we are. We need this perspective because, let's be honest, like, we we lose that perspective over time. And, and we tend to think like we're invincible, like we're not returning back to dust sometime. Like I remember when I was in high school and my dad turned 40, I'm like that guy's so old. <laughs> 40's not old, <laughs> 40's not old. Yeah, I'm not thinking that anymore. I'm thinking 60's old. And the guys that are 60 in the room are going, 60's not old, 80's old. And we go on. <laughs> and we go, we go on and on in life through that, like that, don't we? And we deceive ourselves. And we, we're like, dust, death, that's an eternity from now. I don't have to worry about that. Scripture has something else to say about that. Psalm 90, verse five and six, you sweep them away as with a flood. Speaking of man, they are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning, it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening, it fades and withers. So so God is eternal and timeless, And these verses are screaming at us that we are finite, we have an end date, we're returning to dust. I love how the Spirit through Moses helps our minds to grasp this through some metaphors that we need to ponder. So first, floods. Think about the context of Moses and Israel. They knew a thing or two about the power of water. They had seen Moses raise his hands and water go to the side, create a wall, create dry land for them to walk over. They get to the other side and Moses drops his hands and they saw the power of water just sweep those Egyptian soldiers away. Moses is like, yeah, man versus water. I've seen the end of that. Man is gonna return to dust. Brevity of life, it's it's as certain as the flood sweeping the Egyptians away. But he doesn't stop with that example. He shows us some other examples. We're going to skip over the dream example. You can think about that one on your own maybe later today, but let's look at grass for a second. How many of you have perfectly green and luscious grass in your yard right now? Come on, don't be ashamed. Not, okay, there we go. We got, we got a couple out here. Now, if I was to ask those people to continue raising their hands, if they've had the same luscious green gla- grass from June 1st through right now here in Indiana, probably the same people would leave their, their hands up. But, I mean, all of us are rocking green grass in April and May, Right? The grass is green, it's beautiful, and then June hits and the heat comes and the rain doesn't come, and bam, everybody's grass goes brown except the cheaters. (laughs) But even you irrigation-loving, chemical-using cheaters, (laughs) it's inevitable, it's coming. Fall is right around the corner, And then comes winter and then the grass is gonna go dormant and it's gonna go brown and it's gonna be ugly just like the rest of ours. (laughs) Life is like grass. We're not strong either. We can't do enough things to ourselves to keep it from wasting away. It's inevitable. We can't eat enough of the right foods, and exercise enough to escape the reality that there will be an appointed day and we are gonna go back to the dust. That's a lot of imagery, Nick. I'm not really a creative person. I don't really like metaphors. I'm more of a concrete thinker. Turn to verse 10. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. So spreadsheet people, there you have it in black and white. Basically, if the Lord wills, we've all got in these earthly vessels a good 70 or 80 years and then it's back to dust. God is eternal and timeless and we are finite, bound by time headed back to the dust we were created from. Now this last perspective between God and man, he is righteous and holy and we are sinful and separated. This, this truth was began to be laid out in verse three, but it becomes even clearer as we read verses seven through nine. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath, we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. Remember Moses and Israel's context here. Moses is remembering and recounting the fact that they had sinned and a whole generation was punished by wandering in the desert until their finite existence was passed. Remember God's justified wrath. He's righteous and holy and we are sinful and separated. God had a dwelling place for his people and they rejected it and didn't believe him and so they lived aimlessly and wandered until they returned to dust. You and I are the same. You and I are the same. We're sinners separated. Every single one of us have sinned, Romans 3. Every single one of us deserves a just punishment of death from a holy God, Romans 6. So so what keeps us from wandering all our days, awaiting our return to dust, wandering aimlessly? There's good news on the horizon. It's coming up like a morning sun. There is satisfaction at the end of that good news, and so Moses is praying a perspective that he needed, that the Israelites needed, and as they finally headed into the promised land, and the perspective was that God is transcendent and man is transient. And why why did they need that perspective? Why did why do we need that perspective? Because This kind of perspective causes a dependence in the right direction. If you and I are finite, destined for dust, It can do nothing about all of our deficiencies, our sinfulness. If we are transient, we need a transcendent God like this to depend on. And the truth is, is he wants that dependence and he loves it when we do that. So what does the dependence look like? So Moses is showing us a prayer of dependence here in the second half of this Psalm, starting in verse 12. Let's look at the perspective, how the perspective causes Moses to pray. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long have pity on your servants. When you've got a right perspective on God, you cry out to him. Remember the desperate cry from from last week, from Psalm 63, oh God, earnestly I seek you. And Moses is crying out in in a very similar way and he's crying out to God and he's saying, teach us, you are all knowing, you see it all, you created it all and you are the source of life, so, so teach us life, so teach us When you find an expert on something, don't you stop and listen? Don't you sign up for that class? And what if the expert is actually the author or the the creator of the thing that you're trying to learn? That lesson is gonna be so much more beneficial. They know every nook and cranny. That is God on life. He is the author and creator of life. He knows the way to satisfaction. And so we stop and we listen, and we cry out, teach us. Teach us what? Teach us to number our days. What does "numbers number our days mean? It, it, does it mean to count and keep track of our birthdays? No, it, it means to count and reckon our life in relation to what we know and what we understand from verses one through 11. It means to have perspective on your life, the right perspective to to know these things that that we've been hearing from the Lord, that, that we are transient, that life is short and especially in the context of eternity and that you are destined to return to dust and that there is a transcendent God and that creator God desires relationship with you. Yet he's just and holy and we're sinful and separated. So number your days next to that reality. Don't go through life without considering those truths. He's begging God, don't let us go through life without considering those truths. Why? To get a heart of wisdom. And what does wisdom say? Proverbs 1 says in 1, 7, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So a wise man hears these truths and responds in dependence. The foolish hear these words in disregard and they head after the world. And he Cries out in desperation, return, O Lord. Hear his desperation here. Moses is crying out to teach us, to understand what our lives are about and to gain a heart of wisdom. He gets it, like he's on it. And I've seen God and I've seen me and I've seen us and, and he's like, humbly, Lord, seriously, Lord, we need you. We're not going back just like we did before. We're saying, we can't do this. We know that you can do this. And so before we go into the land, please be with us, be our dwelling place and don't keep your presence from us. Return, O Lord, how long have pity on your servants. Is that your posture before God? Humble dependence, crying out to learn wisdom or, or are you shaking your fist in defiance? and foolishness. Moses in his dependence cries out teach us and now let's look out what else he cries for in 14 and 15 satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil Moses crying this common cry that we all have for satisfaction. Moses is directing it to the author of satisfaction, directing the cry in the proper direction because of a proper perspective. He's saying, satisfy us, Lord. We keep looking for it in the wrong places with the wrong things and we end up train wrecking ourselves and we've seen that it ends in death. And Moses and the people of Israel Nears our experience as well. So satisfy us. Satisfy us with what? Here it is. This is the climax of the whole chapter. This is the climax of our whole lives. This is the climax of all of human history. It all hinges on this. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. You've got to understand what's being said here about steadfast love. It's translated from the the Hebrew word hesed. Brock mentioned it last week, but it bears repeating and emphasis today. A hesed kind of love is a covenant kind of love. It's not a feeling-based kind of love. It's not a circumstantial kind of love. It's not dependence on on our performance at all. It's God's covenantal love to his people. It never changes, it never fails, and it's not going away. I love how Mike Bullmore puts it in an article I read this this week. He's a pastor out in Seattle. That phrase, steadfast love, speaks of God's eternal and unbreakable commitment to love his people. It speaks of his eternal and absolutely reliable love. Sometimes it is spoken as covenantal love, but the key idea is that it's the love that flows out of his character, out of his own heart. It flows out of his character and out of his own heart. I love that. Moses understood this kind of love in his day. In one way, he'd seen God relent. He'd seen God... uh, be kind and show patience with his people. But we know this kind of love in a fully realized way in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The kind of love that spurred on John three sixteen: for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, shall not go to dust, but have everlasting life. It's the, the kind of love that reminds us of Romans 5. For while we were still weak at the right time, God, Christ died for the ungodly. That's a right perspective on us. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's only because of his Hesed covenantal unsteadfast, his steadfast love. That's that's the kind of love that should satisfy us. And why? So that we may rejoice and be glad all our days, the second half of 14. I mean, if you if you begin to think about 1 through 11, and there and you don't have verse 14, if you think about 1 through 11 and don't have verse 14, it is dark. We're going nowhere but to dust. <laughs> but because of Hesed because we don't, we don't have to live in the reality of verse three, that you return us to dust. We don't have to live under verse seven, for we are brought to an end by your anger. Or verse nine, we are put to death under your wrath. No, believer in Christ, that is not your end. Your end is eternal life with your eternal creator who said you, and so there's reason to rejoice. There's a reason to show up day after day and praise that savior. There's a reason because when we believe in Christ, we, we experience his hesed love. He loves you and that love is a satisfying, life-giving love and it produces a hope and a joy that is incomparable in this world. Do you see that? Do you have that? If you don't, I'm holding out this truth out before you today. His said, love is available to you today. Like Paul and Silas told the Philippian jailer in Acts 16, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And then your life can be permeated with a real lasting eternal joy. I'm running out of time, but... Verses 16 and 17, let's go through this end real quickly. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. This last cry from Moses and the people is, Lord, establish us. Show us your work. Let your work be shown to your servants. Establish the work of our hands. And when we're at the Lord's work, when we're doing the Lord's work, when he's empowering the work, that work has an eternal significance, not a temporary, not a transient, but an eternal significance for his glory in all of eternity. So the right perspective changes everything. And when Israel looked around at their circumstances from their limited perspective, they they made bad choices and they sinned. But when they stopped and when they kept their eyes on God and had a right perspective on him, like like we see in, in, in Psalm 90, they found a dwelling place. They found deliverance and life eternal. They found help, and they found their ultimate satisfaction in him. What about you? What are you depending on? What are you looking at? What is your perspective in life? What or who is your dwelling place? What are you feeding yourself that you are learning from and being satisfied in and working for? Is it The God that satisfies with his steadfast love, or is it some bad substitute that turns to dust in your mouth? God, through Moses and the story of the Israelites, is holding out before us a better way, a perspective that results in a life full of wisdom, full of joy, full of purpose, and a perspective satisfies and so God we humble ourselves before you almighty creator, sustainer God and recognize our place before you that we are needy and that we need you we need you to teach us we need you to satisfy us. We, we need you to establish the work of our hands. God, I, w- I would pray all around this room that fake versions of satisfaction would be falling away through the glorious light, the glorious love found in you, the steadfast hesed love that you displayed through Jesus Christ. We praise you for that. We thank you for that. And we want to be satisfied by you and you alone. And so that is our prayer, God. That is our cry. that you would continue the work in Christ's name.